Welcome to Improbable Walks, the podcast that brings you to the streets of Paris, wherever you are. My name is Lisa Passold, and I'm a writer and traveler who loves to walk in the city of light. Every episode, we step into history by strolling down a different block of the city, exploring buildings and people of the past and of the present. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your time and ears. If you're just discovering the podcast, please check out my website, lisapassel.com, for photos, previous streets, and more information. You can encourage this podcast by subscribing, which lets you know when our new monthly episode is posted and helps Improbable Walks to find new listeners. Today, we're going to explore part of the Rue Bonaparte. This street on the left bank runs from the river up through Saint-Germain-des-Prés, crossing the boulevard Saint-Germain, passing Saint-Sulpice, and finishing at the Jardin de Luxembourg. The street has infinite interesting details, but we'll focus on just a few stops between the river and the boulevard, which is my favorite part of the street. The Rue Bonaparte has gone through various names, and actually back in the Middle Ages, it was a canal, nicknamed La Petite Seine, the Little Seine, because it provided water for the Abbey of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, back when the Abbey was a fortified farm outside the city of Paris. Once this area was incorporated into the city, the canal was filled in. The street was briefly called the Rue des Petits Augustins, in honor of another religious building here, now demolished. That site is now the École de Beaux-Arts, which is where we're starting today. So, if we're standing on the Rue Bonaparte, we have our back to the Seine, and to our right is the impressive conglomeration of buildings which make up the Beaux-Arts. The school was founded in 1817 and is officially called l'École Nationale Supérieure des Beaux-Arts. Some of the early artists who studied here include the painters Ingres and David, the architect of the Paris Opera House, Charles Garnier, and also 20th century greats like Henri Matisse and Louise Bourgeois. These days, you should keep an eye out for exhibits here because it's a real delight to wander through the studios and the archive. For now, let's keep walking away from the Seine towards the Boulevard Saint-Germain. There's a bit of a wind coming off the river. It's September, after all, and the street is busy with bicycles and a bus. But that doesn't stop the students from gathering outside the Beaux-Arts entrance to smoke. Their fashionable book satchels and art portfolios are carelessly piled on the sidewalk. As you continue up Rue Bonaparte, you'll see the inevitable tourists buying macaron cookies at the pale green shop La Durée. The pastry chain opened this Saint-Germain branch nearly a decade ago. The corner shop is designed to look like a pastry Marie-Antoinette herself might have bitten into with glee. If you continue up Rue Bonaparte, you can admire the hand-printed Indian cottons in the windows of Simran, which was founded by Paul Komar, who realized back in 1970 that he could sell scarves, dressing gowns, and tablecloths in unique Indian fabrics to the fashionable of Saint-Germain. I love their fabrics. They change their designs annually, and I've worn through several of their scarves over the years. 
A bit further up on the other side of Bonaparte is a hotel at number 36. This is now a very classy little hotel, but back in the first half of the century, this is a hotel that rented cheap rooms by the week. Two American writers lived here at various times, novelist Henry Miller and journalist Janet Flanner. Now, Flanner first arrived in Paris with her lover, the novelist Solita Solano. Both women had left their husbands back in the U.S. Solano had been writing for National Geographic, and they traveled to Greece and Turkey. Once in Paris, they each took a room here at this hotel, which they felt was a perfect setup because then neither of them had to keep house. Flanner, in fact, continued to live in different Paris hotels for most of her life. In the early 1920s, Janet Flanner became friends with the young correspondent for the Toronto Star, Ernest Hemingway. As Flanner joked later, we were a literary lot. Each of us aspired to become a famous writer as soon as possible. From New York, Flanner's friend Harold Ross invited her to write for a brand new Manhattan magazine. You may have heard of it, The New Yorker. So in 1925, Flanner began contributing a letter from Paris with observations about politics, people, art, French life in general. To protect her family from embarrassment, at least that's how she phrased it, she signed her letters Jeune, nicely gender neutral, though in fact that's the way Parisians pronounced her name, Janet Jeune. Janet Flanner knew everyone because of this journalism job. She went everywhere. She had coffee with everybody she could. And if you want a fantastic window into the era, read her collected Letters from Paris in the book that's titled Paris Was Yesterday. Later, Flanner and Hemingway both worked as correspondents during World War II. Flanner then covered the Nuremberg Trials and was awarded the French Medal of Honor in 1948. Janet Flanner's also the friend of Hemingway's, who wrote with clarity and understanding about his suicide. She writes, Ernest's father had also been a suicide, and so had mine, the two deaths occurring at about the same period in our young lives, when we were in our 20s. I was older than Ernest by about seven years. This he and I discovered accidentally one day and discussed at a quiet back table in the De Magot. I recall how I, as an agnostic, took a more rationalist view than he of suicide as an act of freedom. In my mind and conscience, it was possible, permissible, as an act of liberation from whatever humiliating bondage on earth could no longer be borne with self-respect. And our talk ended with the mutual declaration that if either of us ever killed ourselves, the other was not to grieve, but to remember that liberty could be as important in the act of dying as in the acts of living. Now, of course, the Demago Cafe, where they often met together, is just up this street, Bonaparte. But first, let's talk about the Church of Saint-Germain-des-Prés. As you go up Bonaparte, you first reach a tiny park that has a sculptural head by Picasso, who was also a friend of Janet Flanner's. The park contains ruins from the chapel de la Vierge. 
There has been a church here where Saint-Germain-des-Prés stands since the 6th century. The current Saint-Germain-des-Prés church dates back to the 11th century, though. What you see, the wonderful tower and entrance, that's from that era, making this the oldest church still standing in Paris. Across from this famous church is the equally famous Café de Magot. The café opened in 1884, right here at the corner of Bonaparte and Boulevard Saint-Germain. Previously, the building had been a shop selling fabric and other objects, and supposedly, the two Chinese figurines, Les Deux Magots, advertised the shop's authentic Chinese silks. Another theory is that the name comes from a theater piece from the era, titled Les Deux Magots de la Chine. Either way, the café has its Chinese sages stuck up on the wall where they remain watching. Les Deux Magots and its contemporary rival, the Café Fleur, have long been the heartland for spotting local literati, left-leaning politicians, film stars, philosophers, and prize committees. The Deux Magots is currently owned by Catherine Mativa, the great-great-granddaughter of the man who bought the café in 1914 to save it from bankruptcy, which means the de Magot has been run by the same family for over a hundred years. Today, the Fleur, just down Boulevard Saint-Germain, is more fashionable with the in-Parisian left-wing intellectuals, but I bear a grudge against the Fleur because I once got food poisoning there. Originally, back in the 1890s, the Fleur was crowded with anti-Dreyfusard, right-wing types, the ones who supported the fake treason charges that destroyed Captain Dreyfus, the innocent Jewish officer. In fact, the far-right journal Revue d'Action Française, which has militated for some pretty horrendous far-right causes over the years, was founded in the Café Fleur. Fortunately, over the past hundred years, the Fleur has changed and become more left-wing. But of course, the two intellectuals most associated with the Fleur and the de Magot are Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir. They first met in 1929 in Paris, and basically from the time they met, as de Beauvoir writes, the comradeship that welded our lives together made a superfluous mockery of any other bond we might have forged for ourselves. The New Yorker later described their lifelong partnership as a carousel of changing partners and cafe tables that lasted for 51 years. Whenever I stop into the Demago, I nod to Simone's portrait hanging on the wall over the table where she used to hold court. To wrap up this part of Rue Bonaparte, if you don't feel like lingering over an expensive but delicious hot chocolate at the De Magot, you might want to go just down the Boulevard Saint-Germain to the bookshop L'Ecume des Pages, just west of the Café Fleur. For more information about that corner of Saint-Germain, you can check out my podcast from May 2021, Season 2, Episode 3, about books, ice cream, and the writer Marguerite Duras. 
If you enjoyed this improbable walk, please subscribe to the podcast. For photos and details about today's walk, please visit my website, lisapassel.com. Many thanks, as always, to my tiny podcast team, Bremner Fletcher for tech help and David Simmons for the atmospheric accordion theme music. Until the next time, we go walking into Paris history together. Thank you.